Canada Conversations is brought to you by Deloitte Canada, helping you navigate the complex challenges your company faces through recovery and enabling you to thrive in the new normal. To learn more, visit Deloitte.ca. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. My guest today is the Canadian voice for more than 20 automotive brands that are headquartered overseas and sell their vehicles in our country. He helps develop their strategic direction here on their behalf and engages government at the federal and provincial level. So, much of what our guest does happens behind closed doors, but we'll see if we can catch a glimpse of what's discussed and what's on the horizon for him and those he represents when we talk with David Adams the head of the Global Automakers of Canada, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. David, thanks for joining me on the show today. Well, thanks for having me today, Greg. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, We all know that uh, sales would be down, and down a lot during the spring due to COVID-19 and the uh, stay-at-home orders issued by provincial governments. But May sales weren't down by as much as many forecasters predicted. So I'm just right. wondering where your members stand right now when it comes to government sales incentives and whether or not they are needed at this point. Well, I think that's a $64,000 question. I think, you know, uh, the concern with everybody is the demand out there, because I think once you get the factory started, of which most of the factories are now across North America, if not all of them, and I think it's a question of, you know, is there going to be demand to you know, draw those vehicles through the funnel at the other end. And, uh, you know, I think there's pent-up demand right at the moment, but how long that uh, is sustained for remains to be seen. And I, you know, I think the other challenge on everybody's mind is what happens if there's a, a second wave, which, uh, you know, everybody seems to be predicting is going to hit sometime towards the end of the summer or, you know, first thing in September. And if that happens, I think all bets are off. How critical is that, um, given that September is sort of the second busiest uh, selling season or months? You know, September, October, the the new models are arriving, and uh, it's not May and it's not June when things right. are busiest, but it is a, a sort of the second selling season. So, how critical is it to avoid that second wave? Well, I think it's um, this this whole year. I think it's been a guessing game for everybody, and it's been. You know, in terms of uh, you know the certainty that everybody wants in business, the, this this year has just been um, you know uncertainty all around, and I think that's the the real challenge is that nobody really knows what what's going to happen in September. And you know, in an ideal world, you you avoid a second wave and you have some sort of sustained demand that's there from consumers as things go back to you know as much uh, as a normal situation as possible. Um, but I think even in that scenario, you know, you look at some of the um, the analysts are suggesting that you know we're looking at sales being down, you know, twenty five percent anyway on a on a year over year basis as the best case sort of scenario. So, you know, in, in that context, it's a it's a challenge for everybody, um, you know, to figure out you know, how much of that they're going to they're going to get in terms of market share and you know what's going to actually be of uh, of interest to consumers. And I think the the bet is still on from a demand perspective that that the demand's going to be principally focused on uh, you know the sport utility vehicles and the pickup trucks where it's been for the past you know number of years now. 
have your members been asking you to work with the government or ask the government for any incentives? We've heard tax holidays thrown around. We've heard a scrappage program thrown around. Uh, some say $3,000 for a cash to clunkers program would be ideal. Um, we just ran the story on our website last week about that. I just wonder if you're hearing directly from automakers and they are asking you to ask the government for something like that. And if so, what is it that they're looking for? Yeah, well, we've been part of, uh, I guess, a consortium between ourselves and uh, the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association, the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association, that's been exploring with government um, various incentives. And you mentioned a couple of them, uh, you know, GST tax holiday and also a scrappage program. And I think, you know, from a scrappage program, the the benefit of a scrappage program is, is sort of twofold. One, um, it's a bit of an economic stimulus to you know, get people back into the market, and you know it's got an ancillary benefit of um, you know at, at GHG emissions uh, improvement, given that most new vehicles are more fuel efficient than most older vehicles, and also a you know criteria air contaminator smog causing benefit as well because um again most of the newer vehicles well all the newer vehicles are meeting more stringent smog causing emission standards than older vehicles so you know from that perspective it's um it's helpful and then i think you know the other i guess factor that's often really not acknowledged by a lot of people is just the the safety benefit associated with newer vehicles as well when you look at all of the um, advanced uh, safety technology that's been built into vehicles over the past, you know, even three or four years compared to before that, it's uh, it's almost night and day, and um, you know uh, that can't be dismissed out of hand either. So it's really um, you know three things: both uh, economic stimulus, um, you know, environmental benefit, and also a safety benefit by turning that fleet over, and you know, really um, that's the only way that we're going to get anywhere in terms of trying to meet the government's emissions goals is by looking at the, the automobile fleet in a holistic manner, not by specifically looking just at, at new vehicles. So, um, you know, you have to get some of those older vehicles off the road as well. So let's stick with emissions since you brought it up as part of this. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, your organization um, always calls for the uh, regulatory harmonization and mutual recognition of non-Canadian standards. And we're often coupled with U.S. standards because it's easy. We're one big region. So I'm wondering, should Canada follow the Trump administration's new lower vehicle fuel efficient standards? Or should Canada break rank and go it alone with their own standards? And if they do, what does that do to our market and our availability of product? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And, and thanks for that. Um, I mean, I think if you look at it right now, it, it's... Um, it's really a question that isn't a question because, in reality, the way our regulations have been constructed is that they incorporate, by reference, the U.S. regulations. So what that means is, effectively, if if the U.S. moves to the Trump standard, then then Canada de facto is going to move to the Trump standard, unless unless our regulators decide, our politicians decide that they want to go down a different route. Then that means creating a whole new. Um, you know, regulatory uh, process and a a new regulation for Canada. And I think if you look at it, you know, from a a big picture, um, you know, uh, we've always been harmonized on a North American basis with our, both our emission standards and our safety standards. 
Um, so I'm not sure why it would make sense that we would do something different now. Um, I think from the other perspective too, we've just, you know, we've got NAFTA, uh, re- revised NAFTA, the USMCA or the COSMO, whatever you want to call it, yep. uh, coming into effect on July 1st, which has been, you know, a little over two years of effort trying to, uh, you know, reestablish that, um, that integrated North American market. So I'm not sure why we would, uh, we would take a stand that would take us off that path, um, you know, right out of the gate with by looking at something that would be any different from a North American standard. And I think, you know, the automotive industry has always said, like, we really are just looking for one standard. And, uh, and you know, by having one standard that allows you to gain the economies of scale and um, efficiencies from, from making, you know, vehicles that, and, you know, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what the standard is, whether it's a, an emission standard or a safety standard, the uh, you know, the more vehicles you can build to one standard, uh, you know, the, the better off and the better efficiencies you can create. We'll hear more from David Adams after this short break. The COVID-19 pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the world's population and economy. Social distancing and self-isolation measures have taken consumers out of the auto retail market, while concern over worker safety continues in manufacturing facilities globally. An increasingly distressed supply base is facing the potential for large-scale liquidity issues, which may lead to increased M&A activity throughout the ecosystem. Significant uncertainty remains around the permanence of current consumer behaviors and the extent to which they will be able to re-engage with the sector. Through Deloitte's State of the Consumer Tracker series, we discuss timely data and trends and highlight key consumer insights. We also explore how behavioral preferences take shape over time to allow businesses to make strategic decisions in this dynamic market environment. The ongoing survey results are also available via an interactive dashboard, the Deloitte Global State of the Consumer Tracker. Check in every two weeks to explore new consumer insights and emergent trends. Welcome back to the show, where we're joined by David Adams, the head of the Global Automakers of Canada. Have you been hearing from anyone uh, in the government suggesting that we do go it alone or they are against uh, the new lower fuel standards that um, are being proposed by the Trump administration? Is anyone saying that they're entertaining the idea of maybe breaking away, or is it pretty set in stone that Canada will follow suit? Well, no, I mean, I, I don't think anything is a given, and I think that's why, you know, we're we're constantly chatting with government to try and have a discussion with them in a collaborative and, and constructive way about, okay, well, um, we recognize that Canada has a you know, uh, you know, certainly a different climate change agenda than uh, than the U.S. does right at the moment. But I think the operative uh, phrase there is right at the moment because you know the U.S. is having an election in November, and uh, you know by uh, anything that I've read, you know Trump is down by as many as fourteen points at the moment. So, you know, if we get a new government uh, in the U.S. Um, you know, presumably that government is going to be looking at uh, retaining the Obama standards as opposed to uh, the Trump standards. But then that's going to be a whole new rulemaking in the in the U.S. again. So I think that's, from our perspective, that's one more reason why the Canadian government just needs to, uh, you know, to a certain extent, um, sit back and reflect on where things are at at the moment. Because again, uh, the sands could shift very easily in the coming months back to a situation that. Um, you know, is is going to be a, a completely different situation than what it is now, and um, you know, to a certain extent, there's 
from our perspective, there's not much point in making a pronouncement now that could be, um, you know, entirely have to be reconsidered in, in again, a few months' time. So, you know, when you look at uh, the, the whole situation of NAFTA coming uh, into force, I think NAFTA, COSMA, USMCA on July 1st, you look at the fact we've got an election going on in the States in November, which uh, could significantly change the political dynamic there. I think those things um, would suggest to me anyway that Canada's better served, yeah, um, you know, keeping your eye on the ball of the things that you might like to achieve, but also being cognizant of the realities, political and, and economic realities, in which we're operating at this point in time and saying, okay, we can... We can take the time and be thoughtful and um, and constructive about how we want to approach emission standards going forward. So if the goal in Canada um, at the federal level is to reduce emissions and improve our uh, climate and environment, um, does that mean more electrification in vehicles? And if it does, how do we get there? Are, are you and your members a fan or a proponent of... EV incentives? Would you like to see those increased or used or taken away? I just wonder your your members' stance on that. Well, and it's a, it's an interesting question because I think um, you know if you were to ask the, any one of our fifteen members, you might get a slightly different answer. But you know, by and large, I think our members recognize that you know for the near term, um, incentives are sort of a necessary evil in order to decrease the you know, the gap between an internal combustion engine vehicle and an electric vehicle, there's still a significant cost gap there, and that cost gap will will eventually dissipate, but it's uh, it's an open question as to when that's going to be. And I think, you know, right now we're in a challenging environment where, you know, uh, gas, I mean, it's, it's started to tick up a little bit, but, um, you know, the gas prices are, are uh, fairly low right now, so it's... Um, you know, it's hard to build a case for consumers to say, okay, well, you know, now's the time to purchase an EV that's going to cost you, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars more than a, a similar gas vehicle. Um, you know, having said that, I think all of our members are aware that, um, and I wouldn't call it electrification; I would call it decarbonization. That the future of transportation is decarbonized, and there are many ways to get there, and one of them is through EVs and electrified vehicles. Um, but electrification is a much broader spectrum in our view than sometimes the narrow view through which government looks at it. And government tends to look at it strictly through the lens of a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle or pure battery electric vehicle. And I think we would say, well, you know, take the broad range from a conventional um, hybrid vehicle, which is electrified, all the way through a, you know, a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. Those are all various forms of electrification. And even then, we would take a broader perspective on things by saying, look, if the goal is reduced emissions, and if you're looking at incentives, um, well, let's recognize the um, the contribution that uh, technology like, you know, uh, Mazda's technology is brought to the, you know, it's brought to the scene where they're getting 15, 20% fuel economy improvements from, from their technology that they built into, I think, their whole product line now. But nobody recognizes that, but they're still uh, making significant uh, reductions in, um, uh, you know, in emissions and improvements in fuel economy. So the goal should not be on the technology. The goal should be on, you know, what, 
what you're really trying to achieve, which is greenhouse gas emissions reductions from transportation. And I think the other thing that few people recognize, too, is that in any given year, you know, new vehicles are only about 8% of the vehicles that end up being on the road as part of the overall fleet. So if we think we're going to solve the transportation emissions problem by looking solely at the new vehicle fleet, um, you know, that's just a recipe for failure because um, I think if we're really serious about this, which the Canadian government seems to be in, I would say which our own members are, then we need to take a, a very broad and holistic look at the entire um, on-road fleet and figure out, you know, how are we going to reduce emissions from the entire fleet? And part of that, frankly, comes down to consumers saying, you know, do I... Do I need to actually use my my vehicle for all the things I'm using it for right now, or can I find some other way to, um, you know, to meet my mobility needs and uh, and all those sorts of things? And that's that's the type of discussion I think we really need to have with government. I, I want to stick with um, harmonization for a minute, but on a sure. on a different note. Um, I just wonder if anyone in the industry, including your association that you're aware of, is calling for any sort of harmonization of autonomous vehicle functionality and regulation and the same question about data collection as we move um, closer and closer to more connected vehicles and more connected infrastructure is your your association talking with our government or is there a regional conversation in terms of north america in how to regulate all this in terms of um, connected vehicles data collection and the autonomous vehicle uh, functionality. We've heard level one, level two, level three, but then people start sneaking in words like level 2.5. Well, that doesn't really exist. So I'm just wondering if there's a, a an effort to harmonize all that. Sure. And there's a, a number of different efforts on right now in terms of different standards agencies that are looking at, um, you know, as you say, trying to, um, uh, I guess, categorize, categorize and then actually um, develop Standards for different um, different pieces of the automation puzzle, and I think um, you know, the, as you say, the challenge becomes how do you how do you work on something that you can't really define? And I think you know, the Society of Automotive Engineers did a did a good job a few years back of of um, actually defining the main sort of key levels of automation. But um, as you point out, you know, sometimes those those definitions are have become like a little bit um, mutated by by different proponents right. looking at you know what 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 it actually means. So um, yeah, I mean it's a it's it's not the wild west, but I think it's a situation where it's an evolution of um, of uh, technological adaption and then having to build some standards around that technological adaption. And that, that's one thing that we're finding sort of across the board within the industry right now is that the the technological ad- adaptation of uh, technology onto vehicles and uh, and whatnot is, is happening far faster than, you know, to a certain extent standards and, and regulations can be developed uh, for it. So that's prompted a much different discussion, for instance, with government than in the past where, um, you know, if you look at uh, safety equipment on vehicles, for instance, the government would, you know, normally take a very sort of cadenced approach to developing a regulation for a particular 
piece of safety equipment. And right now, with all of the advances uh, and uh, how quickly it's all evolving, um, you know, you can't, uh, you can't, like a two-year regulatory process doesn't cut it anymore. So what we really needed to do is um, engage with, for instance, Transport Canada, and it's in the States, and have a, a more of a collaborative discussion around, okay, well, what, what are the goals that um, that you're trying to achieve as a regulator vis-a-vis, you know, what are the, the goals and the capability of the technology that um, manufacturers are building in the vehicles now? And it, it's created, a, I say, a much different dynamic, I think, between the regulators and the regular, those that are regulated about, um, you know, how, um, how we work together for the ultimate benefit of um, you know, the safety of the consumer that's actually using the techni- technology in the vehicle. I'll leave you with this. We are about halfway through the year now, and um, it has been something that none of us has ever seen before in terms of sales, production, safety, um, everything. Uh, I just wonder how you're feeling, generally speaking, about the Canadian auto market, um, and the retail market in terms of new vehicle sales looking forward. Um, there was a time when people, and Dennis DeRose will always say this, there was a time when people would jump for joy at 1.5 million sales in a year. Um, we might be headed there this year. Is that good given everything we've been through in the first six months of this year? I just wonder what your outlook is and what your members are feeling at this point in time. Yeah, and I, I think, again, it's an open question. Nobody knows what the answer is. But I think, you know, just in terms of checking in with some of my members, I think they've been, um, you know, sort of uh, cautiously um, surprised a little bit about the um, the market. Um, not that it's, um, you know, that it's uh, it's wonderful by any means, but it, it's it's surprised in that it, it hasn't been... Um, as bad as they had maybe contemplated or planned that it might be. So there's a certain amount of um, of optimism at the moment, and I think you know a lot of that then comes down to okay, um, it's not as bad as we uh, were maybe planning it might be. But then when you have that type of a scenario, then <laughs> that usually means that you don't have um, you know enough product or enough of some product, uh, given that you have planned for things to be you know a little bit perhaps worse than they actually ended up being. And I think that's the situation that folks are finding themselves in right at the moment, at least some uh, some of the members where, um, you know, they, they don't have enough product, which sounds like a, a bit of a bizarre problem, uh, you know, amidst the, the pandemic. But I think that's, um, you know, that, that's the current reality for some of the, the member companies. But, you know, then you have others where, you know, it's a real struggle. So it's... Um, you know, as you say, it's something that none of us have ever faced any, uh, you know, before, and hopefully we'll never face again. But I think uh, um, it's uh, it's it's feeling your way, you know, as you go, and with with no um, with no uh, precedent before of of how you make this work or how it's all going to play out. Well, I thank you for uh, joining me on the show. Much appreciated. You're always a great chat. Um, you you well, thanks deal for the time. with. I appreciate no problem. You deal with a ton of issues in your position. I know you're a small office, and I'll let you get back to work. But uh, again, I appreciate it. We'll stay in touch. We'll catch up at the end of the year and see how things uh, sort of shake out uh, when all this is said and done. That's great. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. We reached David at his home office in central Ontario. If you want to be a guest 
or have a suggestion, or simply want to comment on the show, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you join us next time. So long, everybody.